You're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. I'm Castle. And I'm Min. And on this week's episode, we're talking all about weather apps. Min, you know a little bit about that, I believe. Just don't you? <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, it was kind of uh, my master's thesis where I spent two years on uh, researching weather apps and how to better communicate weather information via these smartphone apps that people use on a day-to-day basis. So really looking forward to sharing my information with you and uh, sharing with all of our listeners too. That and more is coming your way next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together. Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather. I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast. By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back. No, no, I wasn't always like this. Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit. Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency. I could take you February and turn it into spring. I get gone, I get gone, and I don't need anyone to know better. Put your faith to the time. How's it going, man? How was the your Fourth of July? It was really good, actually. It's been a really long time since I spent at the Fourth of July on the beach, but this past uh, ah. holiday, I literally laid out on the beach and drank some beer, and some of my friends and I we played Pictionary in the sand. So we got like this really nice twig. And we were on different teams, and we had to draw stuff out in the sand. It was, I don't know, some improvisation, but it was a lot of fun, actually. What about you? What'd you do for 4th? I have actually been on the beach for the 4th of July for the past three or four years, so it's kind of a customary thing for me. But this time, I went and visited my friend Chris in Charleston, and so we were also on the beach, not on the fourth, the day of the 4th, but we visited the day before um, but we were at the pool during the 4th of July. So are you like super tan now? I am super burnt right now <laughs> because that's all I do. Yeah, you don't get tan, um, right? You only just get burnt. I do, but I'm actually kind of tan now, which is exciting. You have to take a picture for me later. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I've ever seen you tan before. I'm not. Okay, let's be honest. I'm not tan. <laughs> I am more. T- I'm not as white anymore. We can probably say that. Uh, but I'm but I'm super burnt. Like if. I have like the the burn marks so you can tell I was wearing a tank top. It's well they always say like when you're getting tan for the first time in the summer that you have to put on the base coat of like getting burnt and then after that hopefully you don't get burnt as much and then you get tanner and tanner oh. as the season goes on. I'm not sure how true that is because I don't really need to get burnt. I just turn tan. Well, it usually just happens I get burnt <laughs> once and that's it. So maybe that's what I've been doing wrong. I never go back outside after, again. After so. one event in the summertime, you just get, you call it quits. You're like, no, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I, just gotta, get, gotta, yeah. gotta... I get burned out. Get it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wait, is it is it like an aspiration for you yeah. to get darker or no? Yes, I would love to be tan, but it just never happens for me. Isn't it weird, though, that like in Asian culture, people want to be whiter, but in like Western culture, everybody wants to be more tan. Yeah, it is. One of my friends did some research on it and like the um, customs and like the beauty and what is defined as beautiful in different areas. And definitely in Asia, um, quote unquote, white is right. Wow. <laughs> That's, they actually, I think they actually use that uh, phrase over there in, in some regard, some capacity. I'm not completely sure how, but yeah, they, uh, I mean, my mom goes as far as to like wear long sleeves during the summer and she'll use an umbrella. You'll see umbrellas mm, pretty commonly yeah, in, in uh, Asia and in, uh, and used by Asian people because they don't want to get dark, which I mean, it's healthy for you, I suppose, in some ways, but you also need the vitamin right. D too. So yeah, I think it's like more of a balance. Yeah. Speaking of 
the 4th of July, the weather, <laughs> how was, did you look at your app while you were on the beach? Wow. <laughs> that was a very smooth transition. You know what? No, because I don't have any internet here and the signal is pretty bad. And you, you know how bad it was. We were literally taking like 15, 20 minutes to set up because it had no cell phone service in yeah. the one room I was recording in. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't really check the weather on my app. And it's funny because I don't really use my smartphone very much out here because I don't have signal mm. on this desolate beach. <laughs> but, 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 if, but if I were to have used uh, my app, then I could tell you all about how other people <laughs> use their weather apps too. Wow, that was an even better segue. I know, I'm pretty exhausted now. Um, But yeah, so we talked about weather apps and we kind of hinted at the fact that it kind of was my master's thesis at East Carolina University. Um, I was working with my advisor, Dr. Burrow Montz, and my committee, Dr. Scott Curtis and Dr. Tom Rickenbach. And we helped, uh, they helped craft a really cool thesis that I kind of came into graduate school wanting to do anyway. It all stems from the idea that when I'm like out in public and people are always looking at their smartphones or they're talking about weather and I can hear them saying things and it kind of makes me cringe a little bit, you know, stuff like, oh, my weather app said it's supposed to rain right now and it's not like, oh man, meteorologists are stupid. How many times have you heard that, you know? Yeah, for real. And, you know, I think when we were both at Georgia together, I believe either you or me or one of our mutual friends was saying how they're on a uh, UGA school bus and people were like, oh, there's supposed to be snow in like two weeks from now or 10 days from now. And it just makes you want to roll your eyes because you're like, "Eh, you know, that's not the best information out there. But, you know, the fact of the matter is people are using their smartphones and their apps, their mobile weather apps on their phone, uh, which I abbreviate as MWA, because again, (laughs) acronyms are the world for us meteorologists and scientists overall. Um, people are using MWAs to get weather information. And that was kind of what I wanted to figure out more. Is this really the way the uh, communication landscape is going? And are people turning less and less to more traditional sources like TV and the internet and going more towards these apps on their phone? And so you weren't the first person to kind of delve into this but you were the the kind of the first person that solely focused on smartphone applications, correct? Yeah. Um, our friend Amber Silver, she is at University of Waterloo. I think she just graduated, actually. And she had a little bit of uh, information about smartphones and whether or not people go to their smartphone for looking at weather information. And she's in Canada. So that was a study of the Canadian public. Um, other studies have sh- have looked at you know, where people get the weather information from. Dr. Jeff Lazo, uh, Dr. Julie DeMuth, and Dr. Rebecca Morris over in uh, Boulder, Colorado at NCAR, they looked at where people get their weather information from overall and didn't really focus on smartphones. This study was back in 2009 with subsequent complementary studies too. And at that time, smartphones, the information about smartphones wasn't really captured, but it was addressed. And they did state in the research that you know, with a changing uh, landscape of technology and how rapidly things are developing, it would definitely be of utmost importance for us to look at smartphone technology and how it kind of shifts the dynamic of where people get the weather information from. So with your study in particular, there, so in kind of our weather world and our weather enterprise, we have a bunch of different 
uh, kind of ways that smartphone applications are integrated into the way we get weather information. So can you tell us more about the kind of focus of your study and which aspects of the overall smartphone uh, world or area, I guess, you kind of focused in on? So with my study, we wanted to look at forecasts and weather forecasts overall. I didn't really want to focus only on severe weather because that's kind of a whole different beast to tackle. But I wanted to look at, you know, on a day-to-day basis, every day people are looking at their weather app to get forecast information, whether that's for, to, you know, in a few hours from now, for the next day, um, you know, even for next week sometimes. So I wanted to get a better idea of the, um, not the mundane kind of forecast, but just even if there's not severe weather, how are people using their phone? And so that was something that I wanted to look at even further uh, into. And severe weather information may be captured in in this uh, study, but it wasn't the primary focus of the study. And I think that that has to be very clear and, and set up front because severe weather data gathering and um, people in the public looking for severe weather could be different. There are past studies that look at where people turn to for hurricane information and shows that um, people are going to their TV and their broadcasters for hurricane information, um, not necessarily their uh, phone for that type of information. Yeah, so it's almost like you can definitely justify it. I don't know like what the percentage is, but in my mind, it's almost like this big pie chart of regular day-to-day forecast information is like 95% of the weather information that they receive. And then the weather warnings in particular is kind of like this 5% tiny little chunk. So your study, while it may seem that you're not focusing on like this high impact weather, you're actually capturing what most people actually go to their smartphone for. Exactly, because I I didn't want to only focus on that severe weather because in weather research, severe weather information and studies seem to be the ones that people talk about the most, the ones that are more urgent and more um, life-threatening in a way. And I felt that if we could kind of start from a more broad perspective in terms of weather information and look at that daily forecast information, then in the future, you know, subsequent studies can look at severe weather or look at a different component of forecast information, but just kind of laying the groundwork now and kind of updating some of the past literature was really the goal that I had so that somebody else or even myself could move on in the future and really focus on one or another aspect kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So kind of break down some of your results. Did were people, did they use uh, smartphone apps? I guess you should probably talk about also who you sampled and maybe some of the source, like their main sources for weather information. In this study, we surveyed college students and that was because college students we know are using smartphones. We see them using it all the time. The younger demographic, the younger generation has really embraced smartphone and smartphone technology, mobile device technology. And, you know, while that may not be generalizable to the whole entire population, at least it gives us a very good indication of how this generation moving forward will probably continue using smartphone technology. So we looked at three different schools and an undergraduate college population from these three schools, East Carolina, uh, where I went for my master's, University of Georgia, where you're at, and I did my undergrad, and also our friends at the University of South Carolina. Um, Thank you, Michael Stewart. A shout out to you for helping me uh, disseminate some of this information and the other fellow Gamecocks out there that were helping out. So we surveyed 308 college students total. And believe it or not, I think only one person did not own a cell phone 
and only two people didn't own a smartphone. So it's interesting to think, you know, like for me, I'm kind of a late bloomer when it comes to technology. I didn't get my first smartphone until two years ago. And I didn't get my first cell phone until like senior year of high school. So I could imagine or maybe imagine how these people are feeling. I was kind of the same. I didn't get my first smartphone until four years ago. And I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 18. So see, so we're a little bit late bloomers, but... I think we've uh, we've kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit in terms of the fact that we like studying this right. type of um, information, right? Like, oh, we don't really know much about smartphones, but we're going to study it anyway. <laughs> well, I think we, we know enough about it now. I think we've we caught do. up pretty well with everybody else. But yeah, not very, well, very few people didn't own a cell phone. So let me rephrase that and say most <laughs> people owned a cell phone and Almost everybody owned a smartphone. Um, those who didn't own a smartphone, we didn't include them in the study. Which makes so, sense. Um, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they wouldn't know anything about a smartphone exactly. and mobile other apps if they didn't have a smartphone, right? Right. You know, we asked the question, you know, how frequently do you use the following sources of information uh, or sources for weather information? And like I said before, most past studies didn't really include anything about smartphones. And, you know, either they were omitted or not shown to be important. And those past studies showed that, you know, local television, cable television, places like the Weather Channel, um, those are the most popular places for people to get that information, uh, forecast information. My study, however, showed that 80.8% use their smartphone for getting weather at least once a day. And so that's a really, really big number compared to the um, second place winner, which is friends and family, and people use friends and family, 17.3% of them look at their friends and family at least once a day for weather information. It's not until you get to um, local television where only 6.8% of people use local television at least once a day to get weather information. And again, you have to understand this is a college student population. Most people are very young in their early 20s, right? And so it it's kind of indicative of how this generation is really using this technology and using um, different sources or kind of lack thereof. They're really almost predominantly using a smartphone. Yeah, I was going to ask you in a study that I did last year, and it's actually going to be publishing in uh, Journal of Operational Meteorology in the next month or so. We asked a question similar to this. And mind you, our population was more of like 18 to 75 um, people just like in the community. Mm -hmm. And we found kind of similar results, but not as uh, quite staggering results with the mobile phone or smartphone apps being kind of high up. But the one interesting thing that we did find was that females were more likely to use mobile phone and smartphone apps, and males were more likely to use other internet sites, so non-mobile internet sites. And so I was curious That's if really interesting. you had any similar results in that front uh no i did not find any um result in that uh same scenario we i'll tease it a little bit and i'll go through it a little bit more later as well but uh, in terms of gender there were some differences between male and female and looking at statistical analyses but uh, for what you're talking about no there didn't seem to be a difference or a statistically significant association or something to look at in terms of statistics where males or females use 
different sources of weather information because so many people here in my study definitely looked at smartphones for sure. So I'm looking also at the table that you sent me ahead of time of your results and I'm noticing like the newspaper is like 1.3%, NOAA Weather Radio is 1.3%, even the National Weather Service website is 6.5%. So yeah. Yikes. Um, and those numbers, again, reflect uh, the percent of people who look at those sources at least once a day for weather information. And, you know, when I presented this research preliminarily at the AMS meeting in, in Seattle, a lot of people were like, well, you know, not many people were looking at the NWS website. Is there something wrong? You know, and, you know, a lot of people question me about that number and rightfully so. You know, it's you want to think that people are looking at the NWS website for forecast information. Um, but the reality of it is the people that I'm surveying are not right. right. They're not looking at the NWS website as much. And, you know, I was talking to a few people about maybe the reasoning behind that. And the National Weather Service, their mission statement, right, is to protect life and property. And so they're more definitely concerned with watches, warnings, severe weather, right? And they do provide a forecast. And that is very important not to try to downplay that in any way. They provide extremely important forecast information for, you know, hundreds of things that people do, fire, weather, marine forecasts. And they have partners all around the country in emergency management and other places who depend on these forecasts for, you know, their livelihoods too. But for the majority of the public, you know, especially this younger group, they're not really looking to the NWS website. Yeah, I'm wondering, I'm sure that most of the students don't really know how to bookmark the NWS website and put it on their phone because that's just now starting to be something that NWS is kind of promoting more heavily. But I wonder maybe in four or five years if this study can be redone to see how much progress we've made, if perhaps the National Weather Service bookmark or app or maybe they want to call it their app in the way that they bookmark it could yeah. be seen as like a signal or a register on here as well you know of the weather apps that are out there the weather channel is the most preferred or most popular uh app among our respondents those who go to the weather channel 42.9 percent of respondents um, use the weather channel app as their favorite and 27.6% use the Apple Weather app, and that's their favorite app. And so if you don't have an iPhone, Apple Weather is the iOS weather app that is preloaded on your phone. You have an iPhone, right? Yes, I do. So you know about Apple Weather. Then. I do. And as much as I hate it, I use it a million times a day. It's convenient. It is. I mean, it's right there. It's your default. It's interesting to note then that the information from your Weather Channel app and the information from your Apple Weather app are the same yep. thing. They're the same information. The Weather Company, which is the umbrella group of the Weather Channel, they provide information for the Apple Weather app, which is pretty interesting. So if you look at those percentages and add them together, over 70% of people are getting the same information based on what app they prefer the mm -hmm. most. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I guess if you're talking about I don't know, consistent information. <laughs> don't know if we want to go down that <laughs> route. But people are getting the same information. So either they love the same information or a lot of them hate the same information. The way the information is displayed might be different, but you're still getting the same 
numbers and forecasts and percentage of rain and things like that. But if the same information is displayed differently, is it taken as being inconsistent? Sorry, I had to go there. Um, that's a whole <laughs> nother track that we can go down late at a later time. <laughs> but um, the thing that I'm kind of interested in looking at in this table that you sent me is the column that says a percent whose favorite mobile weather app is the default. So it seems like the Apple weather is the highest default, but then AccuWeather is also pretty high. Is that is that the default on like Samsung and like Google phones or what is the default for those type of phones? That's something I wanted to explore some more. I didn't get a chance to. I was actually going to talk to different service providers like Verizon, AT&T and ask and then see if it comes down to the type of phone that people mm. have. When I had an LG, that was my first smartphone. The AccuWeather app was my default on the uh, LG phone. On Samsung, I don't think it came with any default app. It might have been the Weather Channel, but I don't remember. But, you know, whatever company is able to take advantage of putting their smartphone app as the default on these devices when people buy them, they're going to have a pretty good advantage. Because I think when I looked at the numbers, over 60% of people continue to use their default app and I think 30-something percent of people only switch because of, you know, one reason or another. And I think the biggest reason was from switching from your default app to, you know, whatever favorite app you use is because their new app provides more information and more detailed information, better information than the default app did to them, in their opinion. I was just going to say that's the interesting part about this because that in itself is a behavior, them actually being motivated enough to switch it. So it's interesting to see what actually gets them to make the jump to a different app. And people prefer apps that are easy to use, easy to understand. And that's that's pretty basic human nature, right? Um, it goes back to a few different types of um, models that I discussed that I won't really go into here. But, you know, people like something that they can use pretty readily. Looking at the chart that you sent, I'm surprised that kind of by the design and graphics portion not being more kind of prominent in someone's reasoning for switching do you have any did people have any like open-ended responses or anything that kind of you can provide more information on about that well yeah i can provide more information on so the table that you're looking at i believe is the primary and additional reasons why people like their favorite Correct. App, right so that doesn't have to do necessarily with why people switch, but why they prefer uh. their top app. So the primary reason people were only allowed to select one response. And that's why easy to understand, easy to use are the top choices for the number one reason. When asked if there are other reasons why you prefer your favorite mm. app, they were allowed to select as many choices as they wanted to. Um, and so that's why... You know, easy to use and easy to understand are still pretty high up there, but also having a better level of information or detail in their app, the graphics and the colors and things like that, the design of the app matters and um, other reasons as well. People have uh, cited, oh, accuracy, like one of my apps was more accurate than the other. So that's why I switched. <laughs> but for the most part, uh, yeah, for the most part, level of uh you know, design and then easy to use, easy to understand. We're still kind of where people were focusing on why they liked whatever app they used. Did you measure like perceived accuracy at all? We kind of did. There was a question that asked, how confident are you in certain mm -hmm. uh, app features? 
but again like perceived accuracy and like reported accuracy those two things are pretty mm-hmm. the same are pretty similar but actual accuracy right. um, that is to uh to be determined right. i suppose there are ways i'm sure to determine how accurate a weather app is kind of like the way that they determine which tv stations in Correct. your local market are the most accurate <laughs> but yeah perceived accuracy is very uh it's a very strong opinion that people have but again it's perceived not necessarily what unobject inobjectively or objectively i guess is the most accurate. yeah that would be a really cool project to have kind of like a branch from this to have someone like physically go through and calculate the accuracy of each of each app and then talk to people and understand their perceived accuracy of the app and see how they kind of how similar and different they are kind of a physical and human perspective on apps which would be kind of cool kind of relating into that a little bit too um, past studies have asked people in their uh, like surveys you know what component of a forecast do you want to have in a forecast like what's most important to you and in the study here a lot of people said similar things right so knowing the chance of precipitation when the precipitation is going to occur and where it's going to occur and even the type of precipitation all these things are pretty important to people in addition to that low temperature and high temperature and at what time of the day those temperatures are going to occur are pretty important to people as well and so when you look at that information and then you try to understand what mobile weather app features are important to people. So that would be things like the hourly forecasts or the five day forecasts or the 10 day forecasts. Other features include the pollen count feature that you know a lot of us use on certain weather apps or the UV index or other features. So we asked them that question and the hourly forecast was um, high up there as people who find that component pretty important or very important. Uh, And the chance of precipitation, the current weather information, so what is the current condition outside right now, the temperature, humidity, things like that, that was very important to people as well. Obviously, the five-day forecasts where you can plan relatively short-term the next few days. As you go more and more into like the 10-day forecast and more than 10 days, people started not finding that as important which is interesting and pretty similar in a way to how people trust those features too. So if you have a forecast feature that looks 15 days out, you know, the confidence that people have in that feature are less, which means that they don't think of it as being as important as like a short-term forecast, like an hourly forecast kind of thing. So earlier a minute ago, you just, you talked about (laughs) the confidence when I asked you about perceived accuracy. So kind of going back to that concept of those kind of features that we just discussed, what was kind of the confidence breakdown for each of them? Yeah, so for the hourly forecast, 85.2% of those who responded were either confident or very confident in their hourly forecast that they get, you know, next hour, three or four hours from now. They like that stuff and they are actually pretty confident in it. For severe weather alerts, 73.8% are confident or very confident that's interesting, right? Because you think of, well, a severe weather alert is a severe weather alert. Like, it's happening. It's not a forecast. Well, it kind of can be a forecast, kind of, but it's more of a, you know, if it's a tornado warning or something like that, you kind of should trust it. But not everyone has full confidence in that feature. Um, when it comes to other things that certain apps have that other apps don't, the rain notification alert. Have you ever had one of those before? Do Ugh, you have one on your phone? I used to when I had dark sky and it was always wrong. So I deleted the app. 
Okay, so I use a, a few different weather apps, and I actually have a local television station app on my phone, and it tells me heavy precipitation nearby, and it just, I think it just detects like a high re- reflectivity mm. on a radar, and it pinpoints your location, and it's like, oh, you know, heavy precipitation nearby, or, um, you know, stuff like that, I guess, then, you know, people are actually pretty confident in that as well. 70.4% are confident or very confident. And you do you have a lightning detection alert no, on your I phone? Don't. But I know that like weather bug does, I believe. I think so, yeah. So a lot of people well not a lot of people, but about fifty percent of people are confident or very confident in their lightning detection feature where it tells you I think within a what, ten mile radius or something like that if there's lightning in your area. So it's a actually pretty useful feature for public yeah. safety, I think. So I'm interested because I'm wondering, I'm sh- you didn't define what confidence means, did you? Because I'm interested. To- no, it was just a simple Likert scale of very right. confident is a five and not confident. I'm at just all, one. interested in trying to think through what they believe confidence is. Are they confident in the weather information that they're receiving from that feature? Are they confident that they're that the severe weather alert, like is they're going to see a tornado? Are they confident? Like what? kind of confident are they or like how are they perceiving this confidence in relation to the feature that's i don't know i didn't ask them that question but i would venture to say that confidence is more like i trust it i really trust it i don't trust it at all okay like i have confidence in it i trust it so they're trusting the feature and not what the feature is depicting i believe so yes you know because right here the 10 plus day forecast accuweather i think has like the 40 or 90 day forecast most people are not going to believe or trust or have confidence in that because only 18.4% are confident or very confident in that feature. So um, they understand. And the like in terms of forecasts, the longer the range, the more decay in confidence people have. And that's been shown in plenty of different uh, studies as well. So speaking of the different features, I'm sure that some of the respondents had their own ideas of what maybe that could be improved. They definitely had their own ideas. <laughs> what kind of things were they spitting at you? <laughs> oh, they spitting all the all the rhymes at me. Um, well, you know, a decent amount of people said they didn't really want to change anything about their app. They were actually pretty satisfied. Uh, another big chunk of people were like accuracy, which is what we talked about before. They want their phone app to be more accurate. Um, they're like, oh, you know, more accuracy. I want it to be more accurate, blah, blah, blah. I'm like... Yeah, <laughs> well, I shouldn't probably be like attacking the people who I surveyed, but it's a lot more nuanced than that. It's a lot more difficult. You don't just say, I want more accuracy. It's not the app itself, maybe, but more so computer modeling, data simulation, all those fun, fun, fun things in the weather enterprise. People also were mentioning things about different types of features they wanted on their app that they currently did not have. So one of them suggested, oh, I want a feature on my app to tell me what to wear or suggest things to do. So like, you know, bring an umbrella today or, hey, wear a tank top. It's going to be really hot. Or wear your sunglasses today. The UV index is going to be really high. They wanted their app to kind of, I don't know, tell them what to do. Provide them some sort of behavior in order to... Yeah, provide them some guidance. I mean, there's an app for that. So you should tell, tell that person, go get that app. (laughs) <laughs> it's called Swack It. Swack I'm not endorsing it. them or anything, but I did have it for a while. It's actually pretty cool. It tells you or suggests you what you could wear, what kind of outfits you should wear, and it also gives you fun facts as well. So that's like an app. And there are other apps that tell you or suggest you what you should wear. So that does exist, but it gets to the point of, you know, people wanted certain features. Like, I want my app to do this or I want my app to do that. 
a lot of people did mention the radar feature. They wanted their radar to uh, better depict what is happening in their local area. Better depict in what way? Using more colors, using less colors. So, I mean, in terms of depiction, they wanted to have the radar have more scans, uh, update more frequently, and better pinpoint their uh, location. And that's kind of, I mean, most apps actually tell you where you are in relation to the um, precipitation on a radar. So I'm not really sure what some of these apps people are using, but a lot of apps out there do provide some of the features that people were suggesting mm-hmm. that they wanted. So that was interesting. And also, there are some like really weird ones, right? So somebody said, my app is so bland, I want it to be humorous and tell me a, a forecast, but be mm-hmm. funny about it. Already out I was there. like, I mean... It's, I mean, there are apps out there for that, like Weather Doge, where there's a cute little like Doge that's telling you like much rain, so wow. And there are other apps that are kind of humorous and funny too. But I guess they wanted their specific app oh, to be more funny. But I don't know if you could have it all. No. You either will have like a pretty detailed good forecast app, or you can have a funny one that gives you a decent amount of in- uh, information. But there was one thing that stood out to me that made me laugh. And it was somebody said, I want my app to tell me good morning when I wake up. (laughs) Hey, Facebook does that kind of. It does. It says good morning. The weather's going to be blah, blah, blah today. But I mean, if you wanted your phone to say like good morning to you, I don't know. This is kind of weird. I mean, I'm lonely, but I don't want my app to say that to me. I'd rather just hear it from my coworkers or something. I don't know. I mean, you could just tell Siri good morning and she'll say good morning back to you. Yeah, I know. But some of us don't have Siri, so. I'm sure what do you your do? Google lady or man will do it. I don't know what it's called. What is it called know. on Android? I just know uh, Amazon is Alexa. That's all I know. Oh, and Windows is... Yeah. Uh, he has a name. What, the paperclip? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> no, not the paperclip. The, um, it's like a Siri, but for your Windows. I just, yeah, Cortana. I just bought a new computer, a new laptop. Yeah, Cortona. Is it Cortana? Cortana. No, it's always Cortona. It's a woman. Cortana. Hmm. It is a woman? Yes, it's a woman. I don't know. I never heard her. Cortana... Oh, Lord. I, I get maybe Google Didn't is just Google. Oh, it is just Google. Because on the Google Homes, you just say, hey, Google. In it. Or, yeah, okay, Google. Yeah, okay, Google. Yeah. Okay. Well, back to my study. Sorry. <laughs> so the findings from the study, pretty much, it helped to update past literature and show that smartphones are pretty well used and widely used by the public. And it's going to be something that people are continually using. And in addition to that, you know, it showed what time people use their apps. Um, And it showed that people use their apps in the morning when they wake up and in the late evening before they go to sleep. That goes back to the idea of convenience, right? You check your mobile weather app because it's like on your phone, you're playing on your phone, you look at it really quickly, you see a forecast. And people are looking at it when they wake up to plan their day or before they go to sleep. These are times that are uh, pretty standard with how people look at their weather app. Another thing I found as well was that people don't spend very much time looking at their app. Most people spend between zero to one minute looking at it at a certain, like, at one sitting. And throughout the day, they spend three to five minutes total looking at the weather app. So it's kind of interesting, right? Because weather is so, uh, it's everywhere and it could be really impactful. But most people are only spending a few minutes out of their whole entire day looking at how the weather will impact them. So if you were going to kind of push someone or give someone kind of excitement about pursuing this topic, like more in the future, what are the kind of like three big areas that you could see the study kind of branching out to or promoting a certain area of further research? That's a good question. I I think that 
for me, I definitely love the idea of a survey, but I think, again, that's foundational. And I would want to get a better understanding of how people use their apps by doing focus groups, sitting down with people Mm -hmm. and really getting to talk to them, doing interviews and gleaning more information, more complete and detailed information about how people use their app. This is all, you know, reported by the user, user reported information. And not to say that it's not accurate, but again, we talked about perceived accuracy. It's what they think is accurate or what they feel about certain things. So if we sit down um, you know, we can get a better information from them, but also to kind of address that whole user reported information. Uh, there is tracking technology that you can put on your smartphone and on people's smartphones mm-hmm. to determine how they use their phone, what apps are they looking at, what features on their app are they looking at, and even where they're either tracking. If you can see what they're looking at specifically, that might get to more of the design element of an app. If it's easily designed and if it's well designed, then people don't have to look as hard to find that piece of information that they want. Because some people have to scroll more and more to find a certain feature. But if you could customize it or do something differently where people know the information they want is like right there in front of them, they might even spend less time on their app looking at it, weather information. Do you, where do you see like smartphones going in the future? Do you think they're going to be like, overlapped by some other technology or are they here to stay or (laughs) that is uh i cannot speak to that sir i'm gonna pivot (laughs) away from that i don't know (laughs) i have no idea about okay yeah i'll I'll, uh, talk to my publicist and i'll get back to you (laughs) well thank you again for being here i know your schedule is so busy and i'm just so thankful (laughs) that you're able to tell us all about your weather app research boy bye Well, yeah, and I, I know I didn't really like sum it up the best way. I'm kind of tired right now, so it's a little bit discombobulated. If you have any questions, feel free to um, reach out to me. It was approved. My thesis was approved yesterday, Woo-hoo! so that's awesome. And so I'm working on getting publicized, publicized. or published. Okay. <laughs> working to publicize my research. Uh, I'm working to publish my research uh, soon, so hopefully, you know, if anything, you guys can read it once it's published. So enough about weather apps. We were talking about the 4th of July earlier and our friend Ryan Dennis texted me and said, you know, it's really crazy out here in Arizona because it's obviously really dry and really warm and they're still shooting off fireworks, which he didn't really understand and I really didn't understand. And, you know, obviously with dry conditions and being out in a desert, fires are pretty easily started by any small ember. Uh, So yeah, he sent me an article and... It showed that on the 4th of July in the Tucson area, there were 48 brush fires. I don't, I still don't understand. I kind of want to reach out to these people and be like, why did you let your community still have a fireworks show when it's so dry? But then I asked myself the same question as, you know, it's so dry all the time. Does that mean you can never shoot off fireworks and people there can never celebrate Independence Mm. Day in that way? You know? No, I agree. And I think it comes down to exactly what you said. It's more of like, this is an American tradition, and I'm doing air quotes right now, that we do every year. And so it's going to happen no matter what. Even if there's already like a million fires going on around these people, they're still going to be shooting off fireworks. So I don't think that it's like a policy or like a community standpoint thing that's going to be able to kind of block this from happening. But I completely agree that it's extremely silly that this is happening 
in a drought and especially like you're seeing the results now like 48 brush fires in four hours is like freaking insane yeah and granted there's small fires and you can put them out mostly uh pretty easily but it only takes one brush fire to go out of control and for things to go really bad and i'm assuming that the winds weren't very strong during this time period either because if it was on top of you know dry conditions and wind and doing fireworks if that were to be the case i would just be like yo that is a complete waste of money and it's a huge danger to the public as well to be doing that kind of stuff but i mean do you remember in georgia and we had a huge drought a few years ago during around the fourth of july and they actually didn't let people uh, shoot off fireworks i'm sure that they still people still did it's it's better for a community to set the example and not shoot off their fireworks to kind of curb other people from shooting off fireworks too and you have to remember in georgia for a long time we were not allowed to have those shooting fireworks the one that left the ground and went into the air and yeah people could go into neighboring states like south carolina and buy them but they're definitely more popular now that they've been legalized but during that drought i think they did a pretty good job a lot of people were saying um, on the news and in the media they were reporting that if you were caught shooting fireworks and you would face a really really stiff fine and even jail and police were patrolling the neighborhoods too i definitely saw them during that time of the drought because it was such extreme conditions that they didn't want to risk it and for good reason too that makes me wonder that if georgia where it's normally pretty humid and wet and moist during the summertime if that one summer it just happened to be really dry they called off most firework displays in arizona it's always dry <laughs> for the most part so cutting that out would kind of cut out the fun for everyone i guess is what i kind of came to yeah either that or perhaps you should do some more like emergency management preparedness like create like an incident action plan or some other thing behind the scenes like policy wise with the community that they will be able to effectively divert their firefighters and resources um, in the event that these fires do occur they can have that plan ready to go and know where they need to station everyone for that time I hope they prepared for it. It just it just seems to me like you're doing something that you know will probably not work out very well. If not, it could end in a disaster, but you're doing it anyway. And for this, it's just purely like, you know, a show to entertain people. I'm sure a fireworks show might mean more to other people. But to me, I don't know, like public safety is the top priority. And if you're using resources to put out fires that you could be using to uh, do something else i feel like that is just not a valid reason for that mm -hmm. especially if there's like a huge house fire or something that wasn't called by fireworks that night and exactly. they have all their resources scattered across the county and city trying to put out these other fires then those individuals may be in more danger than they should be seems like a huge liability issue mm -hmm. right so speaking of fireworks too you have some information about how fireworks can affect air quality right exactly so a lot for me in particular um as a asthma sufferer um it's always important to think about air quality and especially since it's at this intersection of health and atmospheric science it's an important thing to consider and so when you think about fireworks you think of all the smoke and stuff that is current that's kind of thrust into the air with these fireworks and a lot of people are just like oh you know it just kind of disappears so it's fine like don't worry about it but Last year, there was a study conducted to kind of see how what the impact was when fireworks were launched into the air and the subsequent air quality that occurred. And so basically what they found was 
that particulate matter, like dust, dirt, soot, in the air increased by 42% on average across the United States on the 4th of July. So that's almost like a 50% increase in the amount of particulates that are in the air. And that's just an insane amount. And so when you're out watching the fireworks, people that may have pre-existing conditions like heart or lung disease or may have asthma like I do, they may be at serious risk because of those fireworks. We seem to be like completely downing fireworks right now. Like, I know. Oh, boo fireworks, boo America. But uh, no, we're just taking a different perspective. We all know it's beautiful and very patriotic, but there are some downsides to fireworks that we should probably address too. Yeah, things that we need to consider that we don't. And I mean, especially at the intersection of weather, like if the wind's blowing, that's going to affect the pollution and air quality um, and all these different things. So it's important to consider these different check those boxes when you're thinking about fireworks and their impact on our earth so it is always around that time when we get to the end of the podcast to talk about our song of the week castle what tunes have been making you happy Oh, so I just went to Charleston, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast. So I had four hours of listening to music and podcasts. So I definitely had an an ample amount of time to pick out a song of the week. Um, Last week, I believe Calvin Harris came out with his new album. And so I've Mm -hmm. been listening to it since then. And my favorite song on it is Feels. And it has a bunch of different people. It has like Katy Perry and a bunch of other people that I don't remember and it's really good at first when i listened to it i thought it might have been about a little bit of drama with tay swift and Katy perry because um calvin's talking about how he feels like for other people and then all of a sudden Katy perry comes in and sings the girl part and so i was like "Ooh, maybe there's like some tension here (laughs) but i don't think it is even though i would love it if it was in that manner but anywho I was actually reading a lot into the whole Katy Perry Taylor Swift dispute because uh-huh. obviously her new album, Katy Perry's album, has like Swish Swish, which is completely yeah, about so Taylor good. Swift. Um, and you know, a lot of people are kind of making fun of Katy Perry right now, whether it's the kind of the new style she has or the really awkward dancing she does on different uh, live performances. I um, I mean, let, let's be real, her dancing's really bad. It's like super bad. But Taylor Swift can't really dance either, so it's fine. But I was reading up on the history of, you know, how they were friends before, and then things yeah. changed, and I was like, wow, this is, like, very dramatic and not really dramatic at all, honestly. It's, like, about, like, backup dancers backup who switched dancers, to yeah, one person who switched to the other, and then somebody tried to, like, buy the arena. It was weird. But, yeah, a lot of people are dogging her, especially, like, her new hairstyle, and I feel like she's just being her true self, and people need to get over it. Plus, we haven't heard from T-Swift in forever, so... Yeah, anytime you have an artist who changes their style up a little bit, or kind of a lot in this case, people kind of can get very uh, judgmental, and they're like, well, why are you changing? Why are you being so different? Maybe it's because they want to find a new rhythm, a new sound. That's what an artist does. They have to grow and develop as time goes on. And it takes time for them to figure out what they want. And so, you know, I'm I'm completely fine. I don't love every new song that Katy Perry came out with, but some of them I do. And so I respect that for sure. So for all the haters, swish, swish, bish. Another one in the basket. 
bum, 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 bum. Another one in the casket. Okay, anywho, enough about Katy Perry. What is your song of the week? My song of the week <laughs> is I'll Find You by Lecrae featuring Tori Kelly, which, of course, we've talked about in many Tori. times, many ways. Tori Kelly is, has an amazing voice. She's she does. Um, beautiful. And, you know, I, I don't even know who Lecrae is, if that's like a rapper or a, a rapper. DJ. Okay. Loved, loved, loved that song. It's... It makes you feel good. I'm pretty sure I got, I started crying when I listened to it uh, one day driving around on Long Island because I was just feeling a lot of stuff and I was like, you know what, I just need to let it out. So this song was playing and I like sang it out loud, had some tears going down my eyes and I was like, you know what, I feel really good about myself now. I feel, I feel a lot better. I gotta get the feels out, <laughs> going back to your song. And <laughs> just, uh, you know, when, when times are tough and things are hard, you have people, that one person maybe, or multiple people that you can turn to. Um, to seek comfort and solace when things are not necessarily going your way. And I think we can all relate to that sometimes when we're going through stuff. That, you know, support from friends and family truly helps you get through stuff. And I think it really resonated with me, and I, I like that song a lot. I will spare you and not sing it, but I will hope that you would go and find it yourself because it is very, it's a very beautiful song. And I, I think we can all listen to it and appreciate what the lyrics mean and kind of look at ourselves and see how that situation applies to us too yay tori okay a couple updates one did you listen to the boy band video that i sent you last time i didn't see you send me anything oh dear when did you send it to me well i put it on the website and i told you to go look at it and watch it nope didn't look at our website yet that's (laughs) you're the worst i've literally have not done any of that yet sorry okay second update um, I have more information on the potential tropical cyclone advisory. Ooh, hey, we do um, have tropical depression number four right now. Oh, right? right. Yeah, I, I think know. it formed uh, earlier today. It's supposed to be weak um, and remain in depression as it moves closer to the southeast. But I don't think it's supposed to strengthen very much. Conditions aren't very favorable for it, even though it's pretty warm water. But I think there might be some shear that's moving into place. But um, anyway, tell us more about the uh, tropical potential tropical cyclone so i was discussing the idea of the P- the ptc with a couple of colleagues the other day and we myself and another person were kind of heatedly discussing that it was like more of a watch product and that they had to come up with a watch product because their current like tropical storm watch is more like has more certainty than a normal watch product does that's like in a nws kind of suite of products Mm -hmm. and so they had to develop the ptc in order to kind of slack off of that watch like the certainty and make more of a traditional traditional watch product but then two other people were like well actually it's technically classified as a warning with the national hurricane center because they are extremely certain that something is going to develop it just hasn't yet that's so weird to look at yeah, it like a so, warning because it's a warning in the definition aspect, but not really a warning to take precaution from a public correct. standpoint. Exactly. So it's classified as a warning to them hmm. because it has extreme certainty of occurring and the potential for high impact. So it's high on both of like the impacts uh, axis as well as the certainty axis. Huh, so very interesting. Just something okay. for all of you to chew on and think about. 
Because um, I was <laughs> kind of shocked. Spit it out. That's that's very bizarre. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for yeah. that information. That's so will definitely so be when they issue that they're that. really certain that something's going to form. So I guess that's the reason for having it. I'm not really sure of that yet, but I'm still thinking digesting it. it. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. Uh, you can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype or weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype, or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. Please, please, please leave us reviews if you so feel inclined to do so. You can do it on iTunes or on Google Play, your favorite Android app. Also subscribe to the podcast so that you can get it each, every two weeks when we put up a new episode, it'll just pop right into your favorite podcast app and you won't have to go and manually uh, download it yourself. So hit the subscribe button. Subscribe. Sound like I'm on YouTube. YouTube star. Hit the subscribe uh... button down below. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to get more NPS people to listen to the podcast. So I think it's slowly working. One person at a time. Anyway, until next time. Until next time, stay Stay hyped. Oh, you know what, men? We almost forgot to talk about our charities of the month as part of our Share the Love uh, mission for this new year. So my charity this month is called The Thirst Project. Um, Not only does it have a fantastic name and a great website, they also have a fantastic mission of trying to provide well water to um, people in need in other countries who may not have the cleanest water. And so that is where my money is going to be going this month. It's a great project. I want everyone to go check it out. Um, You can find it at thirstproject.org. And the best part about it is they have kind of these money amounts laid out about what your money kind of helps with in in getting well water to these individuals. And so with just as a little as $25 uh, donation, you can give someone well water for their entire life. So it's a fantastic charity, and I hope others go check it out. Min, uh, what is your charity this month? Yeah, in Castle, that's a really worthy um, cause in charity for sure. Um, And for me this month, I'm doing something a little bit different, not really a um, charity per se, but uh, I want to give back to the people that I see daily sometimes on the New York City subway. And by daily, when I have a chance to go into the city and I take the subway in transit, you know, there are plenty of performers and people who really need the money and they're working for it and trying their best to um, have some way to honestly survive. And so I figured a lot of times when these subway performers are performing, a lot of people, we kind of look the other way, we ignore them. And when they're done with their performance, they ask for money and, and oftentimes they don't really get any. Um, and, you know, it's kind of the way of life when you're you know commuting back and forth. You can get annoyed by people who are doing something and, and asking for money. But sometimes it's awesome. Stuff that I've seen on the subway where people are really working hard um, to make a living. So, you know, one time I saw a magician who pulled, you know, a bunny out of his hat and a dove out of his hat. It was insane. And so I gave him a dollar and, you know, I saw some folks who were like break dancing and pole dancing on the subway. 
um, in a non-weird way, I promise, but it was really cool. So things like that, um, if I can just carry around some cash, then I can actually give some money to people. Um, and I, I think they're just as you know worthy as having money given to them and help given to them too, because you know those things matter and hopefully they're not using those that money for bad purposes, but um, it's something I truly care about. So that's my way of giving back for the month. Well, my, uh, my mom came up here a couple of weeks ago and she brought me a bottle of <laughs> SPF 100 uh, sunscreen. And I was like, it's, no, actually, it says 100 plus. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, how how much more protection do you need? You know, but I've been using this old bottle of SPF 70 and I'm still turning really dark. So I don't really know what happens with all that. I'm not really a uh, dermatologist, so I can't really tell you. But uh, I guess keep using your SPF 50 or maybe... Go up to the hundred. Just maybe it'll help. I don't know. A hundred? That seems like a lot. It seems like a little extra. I don't think it's actually gonna help it that does. much. But uh eh. too extra. Well if you're if And there's a plus, so it's even more extra. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, you're right. Well just stick to your SPF fifty or don't go outside. Or go outside. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs>